0: Do you know what it takes to move good to great? Are you almost where you need to be, but not quite there yet? Find your way to success today. Welcome to the James Stentley Show with Dr. James Stentley. We've got the tips and guidance you need to propel your success to the next level. Now, here's your host, Dr. James Stentley.
1: Hello and welcome back to the show, the James Stentley Show. It must be Friday because I'm here. And remember, we don't think outside the box because in our world, there is no box. Now, again, I want to thank all of our listeners on the radio who, uh, you know, who saw my Facebook live earlier today as I was in the hospital um, about waiting for the anesthesiologist to to hit me. You know, they will hit me with all kind of, but they will be in the room. I thought I was having heart surgery, uh, amputation, (laughs) everything is in that room. I said, you guys would have a lot of fun in this room. But uh, by the grace of God, they woke me up. i I'm here. A little tired, a little beat, but I'm excited because today I have a very special guest, and I've been talking about this young lady for quite some time. You know, she was born in Detroit and raised in Westport, Connecticut, educated in Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. So we would say that she's a national type of a lady, but I would like to say even global. Sean Murray, otherwise known as SNM, the voice for good, aspired to be a writer from the early age of seven. So just imagine you're seven years old and, and you're already. Found your place in life, what it is that you're here to do. She was an editor of the Political and Civil Rights Law Review at Temple University. Uh, she has several publications, her first book, The Art of Submission and A Woman's Guide to Fulfillment. Uh oh, that's deep. And, uh, you know, at Temple University, she also chaired a panel on clean drinking water at Harvard Law School. Since 2001, following the terror, she endured 9 11. And we're going to talk about that as well. She's been devoted to just and just dedicated her life to exploring and understanding the interconnectedness interconnectedness, and oneness, as she calls it, of humanity. I mean, she's a student of self. Sean is the founder of the Sean and Mary Enterprise LLC, 90 Minutes of Solutions. And you know what? I can go on and on and on. But I want to talk to her because we met uh, when it came down to her new project as executive producer of this upcoming feature film. Chicago 1919. So you guys are going to be impacted, empowered, and educated. I don't want to say, Sean, first of all, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure and a pleasure and an honor to be on uh, Talk Radio with you. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much. And I've also got you going on live on social media as well. They can't see you, but they certainly can hear you. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, I've been in my world of speaking, training, coaching, and, um, you know, just a personal development for or over 25 years now. And and I understand the importance of just really working on yourself. So I want to congratulate you on this great, incredible resume and the body of work uh, that you, you've done and what you continue to do. But I want you, for our audience, simply share with us a little bit about yourself in your
2: own words. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> well, Myself. <this> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, I... You know, I grew up in a, I would say, a very traditional way. Um, and, and, and for me, traditional means focusing on um, education, focusing on business and education. And um, I grew up primarily in Westport, educate, uh, West, Westport, Connecticut. So I had a, you know, what I would consider a, a privileged lifestyle, which I didn't realize was privileged until I didn't live in Westport, Connecticut anymore. You know, you think those things are normal. And, you know, I grew up in an environment where the high, I went to Staples High School, which anybody kind of in that area, everybody knows Staples High School. And I grew up in a, in a school where, um, you know, I played the clarinet and the first chair clarinet was also the quarterback of the football team. So, yeah, and I I thought that that was normal. (laughs) You know, I didn't realize there was anything unusual about that or that, you know, somebody who was on the baseball team would be the lead in a dramatic play, you know, that was being presented at school. So everything was very um, like education and the arts went together seamlessly. And I didn't realize that that was unusual until I left Westport, Connecticut and found out from other people that that wasn't the norm. And I, that was a really great way to uh, to grow up. And as you mentioned, you know, I was born in Detroit and um, we traveled around a bit and I grew up primarily in Connecticut. And I was, um, you know, one of the very few uh, black students um, in the school that that wasn't uh, bused in from a nearby city, which was uh, which is Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was an interesting environment to to live in. And I. I grew up with parents who, um, who required excellence. I'll say that, oh. who required excellence. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are pros and cons to that. And I, I appreciate everything about how I grew up because it's, it's definitely what got me here to get today. And, and so I require excellence of myself. Um, and, I, and I did very well with that, but I was also very isolated at that time meaning that I was, you know, kind of, you know, one of the few black kids in the school and my parents, you know, because of their own history and, and fears, you know, from growing up in Detroit and being there during the riots and all that taught me that I couldn't um, really have friends with white people that I couldn't be friends with white people, wow. you yeah. know, that I shouldn't trust them and that they were trying to use me and this and that. And, you know, that comes from, you know, their own, the history of, you know, being in Detroit in the 60s. So I understand it. And it took me a long time to understand that for me, that that was not the truth that I need to live in. That's not my truth.
1: Wow. You know, that's interesting. You know, I remember when you're saying this, I was in Lexington, Kentucky uh, in the early 80s. And I was uh, there in Transylvania University for a training program for a company I was working with. And, um, I was the only African American male there, the only black guy on the campus, and uh, I met George uh, Herbert Walker Bush uh, there for the very first time. I'll never forget that, and he was cool. But um, I got along with everybody there, and um, I remember my last day. A young kid, young white kid, wanted to talk to me, and he said, "Would you mind if we have breakfast together?" And he said, "You know what? I-, I wanted to apologize to you." And I said, "For what? You know, we never said a word to each other, I and mean, we were there for two weeks every day." He said, well, uh, my family's prejudiced, my grandfather's prejudiced, my dad is prejudiced, and I've been prejudiced all my life. I've Mm. never met a black person before, but Mm. you're nothing like what they told me you would be. Wow. I want to thank you. you changed my life. When you're saying that, you know, as growing up in privilege and you didn't know it, we grew up poor and we didn't know it until Mm. we went someplace (laughs)
2: Ah, Isn't that something? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I want to talk to you about a lot of stuff. I want to talk to you about education. But I want to go to the meat, the juicy stuff, where I've got listeners and I've got viewers. Um, I want to talk about Chicago 1919 because I want to give, we're going to go there. We're going to go around and talk, talk about some other things and want to come back there again because that's your baby, and that's how I was introduced to you uh, by Claire Wood. So tell us about Chicago 1919. How did you get that vision? How did it come to, to your life? What is it about? How does it impact all of us? And tell us about this great film okay. uh, that I want to hear Oscar reviews from in the near future.
2: Yes, yes. So, um let me go back a little ways when I hmm, when when I really started to devote my life to being um a humanitarian. Um and and I and I almost feel like in some ways that's limiting because I don't know you know, I think when you use that word, it makes people think certain things. And, you know, I, I talk about using media and social enterprise to change the world. So, to me, that those are humanitarian efforts. And I, um, I met a man uh, when I lived in Los Angeles. His name is Jerry Levin, who I absolutely just love and adore. Uh, Jerry is a mentor of mine, and he's the former CEO of Time Warner. And Jerry literally... You know, he created media as we know it today from HBO to People Magazine to the Madonna book, you know, just so many things that we kind of see and, you know, in our society now and take for granted that didn't exist until he made them exist. And he and I met at the Hollywood Bowl. We were sitting next to each other during a Tchaikovsky concert. <laughs> and um, I was just moving into this arena. I had started writing, pu- writing some things, and I was getting some interesting feedback and, and beginning to understand um, the responsibility that comes with, you know the, with, with these efforts and even with putting yourself out there and putting your stories out there. And I wanted to speak with someone about that who could understand it. And then we just happened to meet the very day that I said that out loud. And um, Jerry and I had just this intense connection with each other. And he shared with me that his son, uh, whose name was Jonathan was a school teacher in New York city while he was the CEO of time Warner and he was shot in the head and killed. Mm-hmm. And so my Unusually, my first connection with gun violence was hearing about a white CEO's son being shot in the head with a gun, okay? So that was my first introduction and my first meeting of a father who had lost their child to gun violence was the CEO of Time Warner. So isn't that, that's an interesting thing. People always say to me, oh, you know, like, did you grow up in gun violence or what have you? And no, I didn't. And I have, you know, compassion for the people who have experienced gun violence. Mm -hmm. And I made a commitment to him that day, face-to-face, that I would do something to alleviate gun violence. Okay. And so that took me into this journey of, I created a brand called Stop Stuff, which were these, you know, these hats. And I had all these celebrities wearing these hats and what have you. You know, it was the S-T-O-P with the upside down um, gun was the P. Wow. And, yeah. And I, so, and, yeah. And people liked it and people were buying it. And I was using it to help support, you know, the idea was to help support nonprofits who were already doing good work in gun violence. And I was going back and forth between Chicago and L.A. And then a friend of mine introduced me to Rosanna Arquette. And she, you know, the Arquette family, they're, you know, humanitarians, mm-hmm. advocates, superstars in Hollywood. And Rosanna's just, just super cool. And we um, met at uh, the Soho House in Beverly Hills. She loved the hat and all that. And then I started telling her this story of Chicago 1919. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a period in history that's referred to as Red Summer of 1919, where there were Almost 30 cities around the country where there were severe, I I mean, I don't know if I, why should say severe, just race riots, any kind of rioting and murdering is severe, right? So almost 30 cities, including Washington, D.C., by the way, where they had four days of violence. And when I say violence, I mean actual killing, (laughs) you know, fighting, killing, people dying, blood in the streets. And... In those cases, it was mostly based on kind of what I call the original fake news, which is that a black man had raped or tried to rape a white woman. Yep. So they would make up this story, and then the Washington Post even publicized the story. And so they incited this this violence through this fake news. Oh. And um, then uh, what happened in Chicago about four days after the Washington, D.C. riot is that there was a young kid, his name is Eugene Williams. He's 17 years old. There's only one picture of him that exists. And and by the way, he's buried in Chicago without a headstone, which is unacceptable and something that I will um, address and fix one day. Uh, He accidentally drifted to the white side of the water at the 29th Street Pier um, in Chicago. And when the white people noticed, they stoned and killed him. And that ignited... A an eight day the longest riot during this Red Summer an eight day eight days of bloodshed on the south side of Chicago where Irish gangs specifically the Hamburg Athletic Club which I find interesting because Chicago today is still all about the Athletic Club you know that's the it's it's a kind of high society yeah and um, they were actually that was just a disguise for a gang name. And they went to the south side of Chicago and tried to kill as many black people as possible and tried to burn the south side of Chicago to the ground. Wow. And you know, to the audience, if, you, if you're online and want to, if, you know, at a, some point just Google Chicago 1919, you're gonna see photographs that are, you're not even gonna believe what you're seeing because you literally see the south side of Chicago with these buildings that are literally leveled to the ground and in flames. Wow. And it's a story. I remember remember when I shared the story with you and with your wife, who I think is also from Chicago. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's so, so many people don't know this story. And it's, and it's like surprising. Like, how do we not know, (laughs) you know, that, that, you know, like imagine wherever you are today, like I'm in Miami right now. Imagine if in Miami, we just had eight days of some people just came in there and tried to kill us for eight days. Wow. You know. So wow. um that you know so that's what the story is about the the film is um you know two two boys who are 13 and 17 brothers and you're you're watching that the 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 history is the backdrop of the story and you're watching what these brothers go through um as they're fighting for their lives you know through uh the city of Chicago and the way this relates to gun violence and all that is that I want people to to recognize where the genesis of violence comes from yes. and and I really um, um, my intention is for this film to really change the psyche of America as, that re, as it pertains to urban cities and and particularly for the the young black boys and black men who might be out there you know killing each other right now to understand that. The rage that they have is misplaced. the The rage is, um, it's it's. It makes sense, you know, to have rage, but the rage should not be on your brothers and sisters. And the only reason it is is because they don't know no. that during yeah. this time they were actually fighting to save their lives, to save their neighborhood, to save their families, to save their businesses. And they don't know this history. And I think it's just a shame. <laughs> and it's, as I'm saying this out loud, I, I already know what one what, what, what of my other initiatives will be is that the way, or I say, the history that is taught in public schools in America mm-hmm. is, first of all, it's, it's distorted history, but secondly, it's incomplete. Yeah. And, you know, I went to Howard University and Howard University, we learned all history, all (laughs) global history, American history, all history. Mm -hmm. And what is taught in the public schools in the United States is white American history with a little, you know, here's slavery and here's Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And they didn't like each other, which is not true. And you don't learn anything else. and you know, from the perspective of people who are of, of a variety of races, number one, through history, you can learn respect, right? Yeah. You, you know
1: respect. what? We got we got one minute and we're going to break and We're going to come back. So please okay. don't lose your point. I want everybody that's listening to know that when we met, we were introduced by a mutual friend who was a very small, actively charged up, beautiful Caucasian woman. Uh, she, they have the largest uh, yacht brokerage in the entire world. So it's not about uh, racism, but it, when you talk to me about this, your focus mm-hmm. was to enlighten African-American black men that where your race really came from. In the yes, first place. And there yes. There's anger in it. We don't even know where it came from and why it and what to do with it. So we act out on the closest thing to us, Uh, because we don't have any backdrop. So we're going to take a commercial break. We're going to come back with the amazing Sean Murray. I want you to go deeper into the story so all of us can be educated and enlightened. I want to thank you, but we'll be right back after this break.
3: Okay.
4: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Mental illness affects more people than you might think. Now there's a program that showcases support resources. How many people in our society view mental illness and how the culture surrounding it is changing. Listen for We Are Hope with co-founder and host Sean Perry. Mental health is being seen as a public health crisis and we want to help, support, and listen. You'll hear the discussions and conversations that need to happen. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment.
5: with us at and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in,
2: you can create your own custom library. Opt into to our newsletter, Search by show, host, guest or topic of interest or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice
5: America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste.
2: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You're tuned in to The James Stentley Show. We'd love to hear from you via email with questions and comments. Drop us a line to JD at the thejamesstentleyshow.com. Again, that's JD at the Show.com.
1: Now, back to the show. Hey, we are back, guys. This segment is also brought to you by Inspired to Speak. Don't forget, November 15th, 16th, and 17th. Get your tickets today. Right away, this is going to be epic, guys. We're going to be in the Oak Brook Terrace with the old uh, expo- uh, what is it, Hyatt House or Hyatt, Hyatt, Lodge. Hyatt Lodge, the old McDonald's uh, university campus, and we have three days of training for all speakers and communicators who want to take it to another level how to grow your business uh, through communication. We're here with uh, Sean Murray, and Sean, you we're talking about the movie and just how what led you to making the movie Chicago 19, so I want to turn it back over to you. We got 20 minutes before the next uh, commercial. I always want to let you just have it.
2: Okay. So uh, I guess what the last thing we were talking about, I was just talking about the importance of history in Mm -hmm. schools and how it's taught and how, you know, it's, it's funny. I I remember when I was a kid, I hated history. And I think uh, the reason I probably hated it is because I just, I didn't connect to anything that was really that relevant to me. So I thought it was boring. Who is that? That's Kara. Hey. Hi, Kara. <laughs> I see you over there trying to hide Hi. in a corner. How are you?
3: Good. Good. It's nice to see your beautiful face. Oh, thank you. Likewise, it's good to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you. I was listening from upstairs, and I said, let me go down. Now, oh! As you
1: tell this story, Kara, I was, I was hoping you would come down because you yeah. pulled on your screen. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about, because that happened, like, we had the um, Chicago Wall Street, right? We're talking about the eight different cities. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, so you, let yeah. You go into it. Maybe you guys can chat about that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Smart women talk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was funny. We were it was interesting because Carrie, uh, because you, you're from Chicago, right? Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And when we talked, it was interesting that and it, again, you're one of many, many people I've spoken to who have never heard of this story. And what we were just talking about is just the fact that the, the history that is not taught in public schools. I mean, it's really unacceptable. And they, it, taught, us
1: this, they taught us about the cow that kicked over the lantern in the City now.
2: Yeah, yeah. They did. That's what they taught. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's they horrible.
1: Yeah, it was a Donald yeah, Trump man. thing. They deflected us with that cow.
2: <laughs>
1: Miss Ms. O'Leary. Cow. All right, all right, go ahead, Sean.
2: And say, and there are other stories like you know. I every time I, I meet a young a young black man or even an older one, I say, do you know who Mansa Musa is? And most people don't. And just you know, for the audience, Mansa Musa is the richest human being to have ever lived. And he was a Malian king in the 1800s. And and when I say to have ever lived, I mean to date. And he was worth like 400 billion dollars. And the, he's number one, and number two is the Rothschild family. So sometimes you hear people saying, oh, like Jeff Bezos or whoever, the richest to ever, like, no, the, actually the richest who have ever lived was a black Malian king. So imagine being, you know, seeing like little black boys dressing up for Halloween as Mata Musa. Like, what does that do to change your perception of who you can be in the world, Right. And that history, we've got to do something about getting that real history out there. Our ancestry is not about slavery. Our ancestry is about being kings, kings and queens, and 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 being uh, successful business people. Like you, you mentioned, Black Wall Street—that was 1921. So you know, this Chicago, we're saying 1919, and then in Oklahoma in 1921 there was a segregated community, really segregated by choice of black people who were, there were multiple millionaires, they owned the bus company, there were multiple doctors, they owned the banks. It was like this thriving community where the black dollar was circulated within that community for a long period of time, which right now that's one of our our problems is that the, the money that comes from the black community is instantly out of the black community. But in 1921, that became the worst terrorist event in our country up until 9-11. They literally bombed the entire city, obliterated it, and it never came back again. And from people I know who have lived in that area, they told me that people, they were so afraid that even today, sometimes people don't talk about it that much. because and, And think about this. Think about... The idea that we've gone through these kinds of tragedies and it's like it's in our blood that, you know how people talk about the fear of success? Our fear of success is logical because if you're successful, you can die. Wow. And not just die, but be murdered. If you're successful, you can be killed. So that's something that we have to get out of our system, you know what I mean. Yeah. And and to and to move through that fear. And by the way, that I mean that fear is still relevant today, unfortunately. And
1: you know, that's so, yeah, go ahead. Know, something that struck, struck me as you as you're talking is that um, you know it's almost like in these areas, the are people who aspire to grow and make something of their life and, and they really thrive to be great. And, and not to hurt anybody, just to be great, the full mm-hmm. expression of us living, um, that uh, they died and their lives were destroyed and they were displaced, Chicago, and uh, uh, they were displaced um, in Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. They were driven out. Mm-hmm. And it reminds you about what's happening today over in Turkey right now. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that with them is, is the ethnic cleansing is about what they believe. Yes. Because of who you are. Mm-hmm. Before you can get to believe, you can believe the same things. But because who you are, that you must not just be um, put in check, but you must be destroyed
2: destroyed and you know, and I, I'm so glad you said that because what one of the things that I, I almost I kind of struggle with um, in in creating Chicago nineteen nineteen is the graphic nature of the violence that took place during that time and you know, I'll, I'll say that the, 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 f- the first draft of the screenplay that I wrote, I wrote it almost like Quentin Tarantino style. And I think, and I had to do that for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I needed to be able to get out the reality of the, the um, I don't even know what to call it, just the, the pure gore and violence. And, you know, the, the one story that I, I tell, just so people can really understand it, is that there was a a black family, um, mother, father, eight month old child. They were on the trolley. This is during Chicago 1919, uh, which by the way, began on July 27th, 1919. So we literally just passed the 100 year anniversary of this. Um, And uh, they were pulled off the trolley. The husband was killed. The wife was killed. And then they took the eight month old baby and they bashed that baby's head against a telephone pole. And then they went back to the, m- the mother and took a knife and cut her breast off and put him on a stick. Ugh. So this, so, you know, it's like, I- I'm glad you said what you said about Turkey and thinking about Turkey and Syria and so many places where, you know, as, a, as Americans, we're watching like, Oh, look at this vile you know, what we're seeing like, oh my God, who, what kind of people are these? And we're that kind of people because it actually happened here, you know, and it wasn't that long ago. It was just a hundred years ago. And, you know, for people to, to, to look at that and then, you know, sort of um, demean and, and deface uh, black people for, for what we've been through both physically and, and psychologically, right. Um, that all of those things have an impact on our lives and how we live, and it wasn't that long ago you know I think the the um the last black person from uh Tulsa, Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken, she just died recently. I remember seeing an article so this these things happened within you know our lifetimes and you know yeah. and or our parents and grandparents lifetimes it wasn't like this was centuries ago mm-hmm. and um You know, like I said, it's for me, it's just, I want, this is not about, it's not a a racial story. This is an American story. And and I want people to understand how these stories impact America, all America, you know, black America, white America. And for me in particular, I really, I have a, a devotion, a devotion to these black boys who are out there killing each other with these guns, and not knowing who they really are and how they can take the intelligence that they use to create these gangs, which, by the way, I, I mean, I don't know if you said it earlier. You know, I worked on Wall Street. I did institutional sales of convertible bonds at Deutsche Bank and CIBC and all that. And I, every time I meet a drug dealer, I say, dude, you have the skills to work on Wall Street <laughs> because it's the same game. Wall Street is a game. It's the game. It's Vegas. It's drug dealing. It's literally the same. It's just that one is considered legal and one not. And by the way, of course, now marijuana is legal. And if you look at what's happening in that field, who's taken over that game? Ex-Wall Street people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm like, dude, you have I mean, because if you can run game like that in the streets, you can run a business, you are running a business. Now we just have to move you into running a legal business. And I, and, I, and I feel like having this history and knowing, like, oh, that's what happened. That's why I'm feeling like this. That's why, even like what I said to you earlier about how my parents raised me thinking that I couldn't have white friends and they didn't like me and all that, that's, be, that's the same psyche, it comes from the same place. And it really was them trying to protect me from losing my life.
1: Yeah. You know, as you say that, I was watching uh, uh, NSNBC today, and uh, Bernice King, Martin Luther King's daughter, mm-hmm. who uh, I haven't seen her in a long time, but was a friend of mine. We actually did business together with a company called ACM. And I remember the story she would tell him, told me that after her father was killed, was assassinated, that no one, they didn't have any friends. Everybody was afraid to be associated with them. Mm. Everybody. Mm. And they were raised with that guard up that all they had, even it was divisions in somewhat even between them as siblings to a degree, but it was a very, very different culture because they were afraid that, that they would be killed if they played with the King family. And these are kids. Interesting.
2: Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I, I had a chance to have a couple of really great conversations with uh, Ambassador Shabazz, who was Malcolm X's oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, she actually was involved in a film, um, what's that woman's name? You know that song, You Know How I Feel, uh, Nina Simone. She, she, yeah, they, she was involved in doing the, uh, a film on, on Nina Simone, which is really an amazing film. And so she and I talked one day, and here's the best part of the conversation to me. She was talking about her father as a father, as a man. You know, she was saying how he was such a great listener. She traveled with him because at that time, you know, he would they would, of course, travel by car and she would be with him. And they just had these father daughter talks. She said I could tell him anything. And he was fun. And that and she talked about. And by the way, she was just telling this just we were just having a normal conversation about family. And she was saying how her father just thought her mother was so sexy and he would say how he was, she was so sexy and thick, how he liked her, you know? And I just thought, wow, isn't it nice to hear about, you know, somebody like that, that we see as an, an activist, he, you know, as a black activist, he was a man and a father and a lover and like this like cool, fun guy. And we don't get to see very often those portrayals of black people just being people. Cause we're always have to be like fighting. You know what I'm saying? And I, even, even as women, like, Kira, I know you probably know what I mean. Like, as a woman, like, I don't want to be a warrior and all that. I want to be Amazing. a woman. Exactly. I'm not trying to Get be fighting every day. You know, I don't want that. I just want to be able to just be me. Yeah,
1: okay, Carol, You're coming against that <laughs> wall. You Gangster that day,
2: <laughs> and we we all. Sometimes we need to be that. If we have to, we can. Hey,
1: hey, you know? hey, hey, hey. Well, we don't
2: want to, uh, right?
1: Let's not gang up. Let's not gang up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's like that. Exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, steady. So I want everybody to know that this is not an African American story. This is an American story. And That's now right. a Executive producer, uh, where are we? Uh, you know, this story is going to be told. This story mm-hmm. is is going to be told. Sean so Murray, you're the executive producer of this right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what is your vision for the release, and and what do yeah. you? you know what is your bigger picture and bigger vision? What's next? Yeah.
3: At yeah.
1: This, this journey well, because we're going to be involved in that, helping you get this story out there to the world and helping to make make it happen, make it a
3: reality.
2: I love that. Thank you. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier Rosanna Arquette, and she has stuck with me the whole time. Rosanna, um, has a, a feature role in the film as a, a, an Irish mother and, uh, her, her one requirement, not request requirement <laughs> was that she not play a racist in the film. Mm. And so she's playing a, a good mother, you know, a good person. And then, um, Julie dash who, um, for the sake of, the, the, of your audience, Julie Dash is the first black woman in the United States to have wide distribution of a film, which was only in 1991, believe it or not. And that film was Daughters of the Dust, which, um, you know, if people see it and look at like Beyonce's Lemonade. A lot of Lemonade was uh, an homage to uh, actually Daughters of the Dust. And um, Julie read the original treatment and literally signed on, you know, the next day as the, the director. So it's interesting. Someone just asked me earlier today, like, oh, are you bringing making bringing women into this film on purpose? And I was like, no, it's not on purpose, but it has just happened that way. And, you know, I like that. And um, I also have a global distribution of the film through a company called Global Genesis Group. And they're also executive producers on the film. And what we're doing right now is uh, raising, uh, we're doing the film independently. We're raising $10 million to do the film. And what's happening right now is I'm trying to just create as much awareness as possible. Because number one, people don't know the story. And then, then the next thing becomes like, wow, no one has done a feature film on this story and no one ever has. And so I need to get as many people knowing about it as possible so that, you know, um, energetically the right people are going to come to this film. The right people are going to be the ones who want to make sure that this film gets made. And, and some conversations are, um, are already happening. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's the goal. And we're looking at, you know, starting pre-production, uh, hopefully like in April, and um, doing filming, you know, probably uh, in Chicago, um, maybe Chicago, Atlanta, maybe uh, maybe some in L.A. I was um, just let's yeah. go talk to
1: Tyler Perry. He's got space.
2: Uh, he does. I know. When I said Atlanta, of course, I was thinking about that. He definitely <laughs> has space. And, you know, actually, today I had a, a music person. Uh, his name is uh, Rock Chen, R-O-C-C-H-E-N. He's a young, uh, young Chinese guy who's done work for DreamWorks and all kinds of films. And um, he his team saw Chicago 1919, the you know, the the article and deadline and reached out and we had an amazing conversation. Well, hold it right there,
1: hold hold a spot right there, an amazing conversation. We're gonna take a quick commercial break, our last break, and we're gonna come back with Sean Murray, the executive producer, Chicago 1919, all of us, all of you, we're all gonna blast this movie out there. Let's push it, let's get behind it. uh, This great America story, we'll be right back.
4: Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
5: Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? philosophy business tips and tactics spirituality positive thought, current events and even more about your favorite hosts it's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com that's blog.voiceamerica.com the voice america press blog all access all the time
2: live up to your fullest potential this is the voice america empowerment channel
0: You're tuned in to The James Stentley Show. We'd love to hear from you via email with questions and comments. Drop us a line to JD at thejamesstentleyshow.com. Again, that's JD at thejamesstentleyshow.com.
1: Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. We're here with Sean Murray, executive producer of Chicago on 1919. Uh, humanitarian, uh, just uh, lady, uh, just out here making a difference in the world, impacting lives, and setting a phenomenal, phenomenal example. So my wife, Dr. Kara Scott Dentley, is here, and I'm going to let her pick up the conversation and let these ladies talk. And please, let's talk about how this film and how the work and the, and the information we get out, how women play a part in our culture and how it ties into this film. And how can we help impact our young men? We don't have enough time for
3: that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) right. Wait a minute, rewind. Um, But no, what we were saying when we were on break, we were talking about the fact that my dad, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, what happened in 1919 and my dad being, you know, born in 1934. And there are so many different things that just in the conversations that we have, like with the Dan Ryan Expressway. Um, his house, his home that he grew up in was, had to be torn down so that they could build the Dan mm-hmm. Ryan. So mm-hmm. he has a lot of history and, yeah. you know, can, can go back to so many different memories. Um, you know, that they used to actually rent boats on 55th street. Mm. It's, it's a street now, but they used to, um, rent boats out there, paddle boats. And he would, t- he would talk about how they would get chased from different blocks Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because of who they were, mm-hmm. because, again, they can't go past a certain point point. Yeah, and to just have this conversation with, with, with him, like you were saying, this happened mm-hmm. with, you know, not too far, you know, from our generation, right? Like this just happened. This weren't like hundreds of years ago, the way that we try to make it seem. And a lot of times when I'm looking at the news, even now, um, and hearing conversation and, you know, you know, with, with things that are happening within our government at the federal level, mm-hmm. it's just appalling because, yeah. of, wait a minute, what do you mean make America great again? Mm-hmm. Well, where, it, it never stopped being, you know, it, where are you taking us back to?
2: Right. Exactly, yeah, we don't wanna go back. We never wanna go back, we wanna mm-hmm. go forward. And, I, and I'm and i sure, you know, we were talking, Kara, uh, I guess you probably heard when you were in the other room about even, you know, even how we grew up and how parents, black parents are so protective of their kids. And sometimes as kids, we don't even understand why, but in Chicago, it was literally like, if you walked to the wrong block, you could
3: die. Yeah. Right.
2: So, you know, it's that important. And, you know, and some of the, you know, I want to just take the chance to say some of the, the names of people that I would love to get involved in this film who are from Chicago, who I'm sure also don't know this story. People like Common, you know, I would love for Com to com for Common to get involved in this story. People like Chance the Rapper. I, I you know, I don't know if he knows about it, but I'd love to have, you know, kind of his his input and his more he's not quite a millennial. I guess he's a little older, but his his insight and input into a film like this and even people like Kanye, Kanye's from Chicago. I wonder, does he know about this? And, and Chaz Ebert, you know, the, who was the, the wife of um, you know, Siskel and Ebert, who has a film company who lives in Chicago. These are the kind of people that I'm looking for that have that kind of devotion to their city to get involved in a film like this because Chicago should not be looked at as like this city of violence. It's a city of vibrancy. It's a city of, I mean, actually, it's a, even a, it's a city of survival where, you know, interestingly, I'm, I'm doing something in the field of, of human trafficking, and I spoke with a, a, a survivor um, the other day, and she talks about survivors moving from being a survivor to a thriver to a champion. And yeah. that's what we need to be, and that's what this film is about. It's about being a champion. Because that's what, telling stories like this, that's what makes us, and then we make more, more champions just through understanding.
1: Yeah. You know, you made a statement Mm -hmm. a minute ago and um, about people not understanding uh, as parents, the fear we have with our children. And my son's 22 now. But I remember when an eight year old was shot uh, not too far from where he lived with his mom. And in my heart, that was my kid. They just didn't say his name. Mm-hmm. And I've been in that space ever since that day, but to live every single day with fear, mm-hmm. are your children going to come home? And a lot of people don't really understand it or don't do that, but know that's a part of the experience. that yeah. buried
3: yeah,
2: It is. And, you know, and I'm sorry, go ahead, Carol.
3: No, I was just going to say, it's just a lot of history. It's a lot of deep roots that, um, that started from, you know, and, and it had to have started even prior to 1919. But um, even with like when the welfare wealth, welfare system mm-hmm. became very prevalent in the city of Chicago, the only way that you could really get it is if there was no man in the household.
2: Right, right. But, you know, you know though, Kara, the thing about Chicago, and one of the things that's so important about it is Chicago was a refuge. So the, the, the reason all, when this this when this riot ignited and it was the, this eight days, it was because and, you know, there were so many people there who had moved to Chicago. So, okay. you know, oh, oh, and I should mention this, this is actually very important. The Chicago Defender, that newspaper, like yeah. iconic, you know, and yeah. people all over the country relied on the Chicago Defender to say it's safe to come here. And so every time there was like a lynching in Alabama or Mississippi, wherever it was, people, when those lynchings actually led to further migration to Chicago, because Chicago was, was actually the safe place. Oh, and then one other thing that I've learned through my research that I thought was so interesting that the NAACP at that time, guess mm-hmm. what they promoted? They propo- promoted Americanism. Mm, Think wow. about that. Yeah. They were like, they didn't want any hyphenated names. They were like, we are Americans and we're all Americans. And I think it's, it's interesting because sometimes these days we feel like, you know, we have to define what America. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That is so fabulous. That, and, and the thing that was important about the Chicago. And I love they still have the red on the Chicago Defender. Mm-hmm. That was like that. they you know, that's how they separated themselves from everyone else. And the Chicago Defender was known for, back to what I was saying about graphic detail, when someone was lynched or someone was burned alive or when women were raped or whatever, they put the the real nitty-gritty, dirty details that people don't want you to see. And sometimes you have to see those details to get it. Like, let's not gloss over this stuff. This is real.
1: Yeah, that's wow. why Emmett Till's mom demanded that look they exactly down the street. Well, I want everybody to see what happened to my son.
2: That's right. So, that's right. And then we know, you know, then you know what the danger that the danger that's out there, and you also know the I don't even know what to call it. The I mean to, to, to do that kind of stuff, you have to be crazy. Yeah. You know, you're you're crazy. That that's that's psychotic. That's the stuff we see in like silence of the lambs, and you know yeah. what I mean? It's horror stories, and by the way, and that's why um, it's the guy who's doing just all those great movies now, like Get Out and all that. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't can't remember his name, but we know that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because he's able to take. I mean, it's funny. I, I didn't really. I just had this like epiphany of what what we have lived has been an actual horror story. In any other you know, circumstance, these films and things would be under the genre of horror because that's what they are, some psychos going around killing people. Yeah, what's the name again?
3: Uh, that's uh, Jordan Peele.
2: There we go, Jordan Peele. Jordan yeah. Peele, yeah. So you know, I, I, I
3: love what he's doing.
1: When I listen to to your work, and I'm so thankful that you're bringing the story out, that we're having this conversation because in the bigger picture, guys, I want everybody to listens and to, to watch us to know that's where that love—it's time for love to show up—and mm-hmm. it's not about the color of your skin at that point. It's about humanity. It's about the human spirit—the thing that makes all of us the same and all of us equal. And and when love shows up, you know, then these things kind of cease. They kind of hide. They kind of duck, duck that little tail down because it overcome fear, and it brings hope. And the hope never disappoints.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I would love to just uh, talk about 9 11 for a quick minute um, sure. because what you just said relates to why I do what I do. And so, you know, I worked on Wall Street at that time and I watched that second plane with my own eyes right above my head hit the World Trade Center and, you know, ran for my life for, for six or seven hours that day. And I was with a a young a 16-year-old Puerto Rican girl when one of the towers went down that her mother worked in. You know, and I watched her get crushed from the inside. And then I, and I watched a man do the most perfect swan dive from the World Trade Center that I've ever seen in my life. He, he it was this, this beautiful swan dive as he dove to his, to his depth. And I remember my insides crumbling, watching that. And then learning later that the part of the reasons that the people jumped is because it was so hot that the, the rubber from their shoes was burning to the soles of their feet. You know, that this is some real horror and, and terror. And so now, <laughs> it's so funny. I, again, sometimes, I, 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 sometimes I, I don't realize how much this event impacted me. And I just realized as I'm sharing this with you right now, this is an epiphany for me at this moment, that because I personally experienced what terror feels like, yeah. that's why I have to get these stories out. Wow. And I, I remember when I felt that terror, And I remember afterwards, I thought, wow, this was just one day. What if I'm a veteran and I do this every day? I live in terror every single day. And then Chicago 1919. Yeah. People, the whole South Side of Chicago where Obama is from, you know what I mean? Number 44, he's from the South Side. These people a hundred years ago were living in absolute terror for eight days. Wow. And, and it, it changes your life. It changed my life to see that and to, to feel it and to watch people actually die in front of my eyes. And then to survive it and to know hmm, you don't know that you're a survivor until you have to survive something. I'll tell you that, right? That's and right. I learned that I'm a survivor because you know, people say, oh, I would have done this, I would have done that. You don't know what you would have, could have, should have right. done until you're actually in it. Yeah. And I, I remember watching people jump in the water that day and I thought to myself, why are they jumping in the water? Like, where are they going to swim to New Jersey? I mean, we remember thinking that, you know, but those are the things people, people lose it during those times. Some people lose it. And one of the things that I remember that I learned from that is you have to hold on to the resources and tools that you have for your survival so that you can thrive. I watched people leave their cell phones and their, Bags and anything that could have helped them. Some people just they lost it, they threw that stuff away. You can't, you got to hold on to those things that are going to help you move through that so that you can thrive. And the aftermath of, uh, of, of I was about to say Chicago 1919, isn't that strange? Uh, the aftermath of 9 uh, 11 was this pure, 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 clean love. Yes, in the city of New York, the purest love, and I, you know, I used to say that that was the time in my life that I experienced the most love in my life because I could see that compassion, like it was tangible. Humans yeah. connecting with each other, even on the subway where you don't look at people, you know, it was silent on the subway as we connected with each other, and I have such great <laughs> fortune now to be able to say that the greatest love I've ever experienced in my life is what I'm feeling and experiencing right now. And I'm telling you my, my connection with God, God has blessed me and is blessing me in ways that I can't wait to share what that testimony is at some point. It's not the time to do it yet, but God is like right here. Just, Communing with me, leading me. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. You know what I'm saying? I'm amen, listening. Son, amen. Yes, it's just.
1: Well, look, that our show is coming to an end. Uh, I want to thank you so much. And I was just thinking as you're talking about the man doing a perfect swan dive from the, from the towers in 911, and how in that moment, in that moment of sheer terror how we came together. There wasn't right wing or left wing. There wasn't black Mm -hmm. or white or Asian. It was just us, humans, Americans, all here together, supporting and saving each other, doing what we possibly could no matter what you look like to make a difference to, because ultimately we are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. So I wanna thank you for your vision and your courage and your tenacity. Uh, Your The film, Chicago 19 is gonna be a rousing success. We want to get you plugged in. I want to have you back over and over and over again to share this great message as we share this American story. We like to share with you and impact the world together. So that's our show, folks. We're going to be back here next week at the same time. Uh, I want to say thank you so much to Sean Murray. I've been saying CM for so long because I finally got it together. I want to thank you so much. I want to thank each of you who listened to the show. Sean, thank you so much. Continue your work. And we'll talk very, very soon as we definitely, this is not the end for any of us. Together we'll rise and we'll share we'll get the story out to the world.
2: Amen. Absolutely. Thank you. Amen. Thank, Thank you, guys. I you love guys. you. Thank you. you All right. Okay. Okay.
1: That concludes Bye-bye. our show, guys. See you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to The James Dentley Show. Be sure to join James for another inspiring show next Friday at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you here next week.